We're going to continue looking at the book of 1 Samuel. And today we're going to look at a scripture that is, um, well, it's a chapter that is, if not the most famous, it's certainly one of the most famous in scripture. It's the story of David and Goliath. And you don't even have to be uh, someone who reads the Bible to know this story of David and Goliath. It's just so well known. It's uh, it's a story that has been absorbed into the culture of almost all of humanity. Everyone kind of understands this, this story. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read just a short part of the beginning here, the introduction, and then we're going to walk through it uh, rather quickly, and I'll just explain it as we're going. We're finding out as we work these scriptures out together in our sermon prep group that meets on uh, usually Mondays or Tuesday. Once a week we get together to help each other because we're going through this uh, with uh, both in our, our Spanish service later today, uh, our sister church over on the east side, New City Fellowship. We're, we're doing this all together so the pastors all get together. We, we plan, we study, we think, we help each other and then we, uh, and we're finding that this uh, is the better way to do it. Just go through these verses and explain them as we're going. So now if you have your Bible, you can open it to 1 Samuel 17. If not, it's written in your bulletin. And hear God's word. The Philistines mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkah in Judah and Azekah at Ephesh Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israel, Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between. This is the word of the Lord. If you go in your uh, Google and you Google Valley of Elah, you see it. It is an actual place. It's a big valley. Some of the areas of the valley of Elah are, are half a mile across, other areas just not even a few hundred yards, all peppered with these small hills and hillocks. This is where the battle took place. And a stream, a brook, ran through the valley of Elah. So the little valley is divided. These armies would have been camped in such a way that they were very close to each other. They wouldn't have been half a mile looking across and seeing the other army. They were within hearing distance. They were able to look at each other right in the eye, hear all that was going on. And we look at this story and we think, what is the author, Samuel, trying to tell people? Why is this story in your Bible? And if you come to our Sunday school class, the adult class that meets in here at 9 o'clock, that's what we've been talking about. Why are the stories even there? What is God communicating to His people or to people, anyone who reads the story? What is meant by this story of David and Goliath and these two armies facing one another? One of, the, one of the things you can take away from this is simply a moral lesson. And this is how it's often talked about. You know, the big guy, the big corporations, the 
all this, you know, the Rothschilds and these, uh, s- these powers behind the scenes, you know, uh, conspiracies of these giants, these Goliaths. And of course, we're the little guys and we got to fight against the big guys. And there's movies and all kinds of stuff that use this trope of the little guy fighting the big guy and winning. That's a moral lesson. And it's true as far as it goes. It's good. Then you get down into the biblical exemplary lesson that a lot of us were taught and a lot of us have heard, and you will not hear that today, at least not in full, but maybe in part. And that is that this battle is telling us to be like David. Be like the little guy David, who was just a shepherd, he's a nobody, he's ruddy, or whatever that means. He's, Dawson said it means red, and it does, but it kind of means like he's a, he's a, a fair uh, youth, a young-looking person. He doesn't have all the, the facial hair and the dark you know, skin and all that, yet he's still growing, he's a young man. Be like David. With your faith, with your courage, and with your confidence in the name of the Lord, go out and fight the giants in your life and defeat those giants. 99% of churches, you'll hear that story. You must be like David. And then there's the historical redemptive, which is the view that Dawson and I and Jeff and most of our pastors in our denomination were taught to look at the scriptures historically and redemptively. What is the author telling us? And folks, let me be honest with you. If the author is telling you to be like David and just take your faith and your your five smooth stones and your little sling and go out there and face the giants in life, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to get beat. Oh, you might win once in a while, but you're not going to win. And you're going to go away thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? Don't I have enough courage? And that is not what this story is about. While those things are true, you should be courageous and you should have faith and you should go out there and and face the giants in your life. But I don't know, folks. I've lived long enough. Those giants win most of the time. I've been in the doctor's office and been told you have cancer and it's bad. More than once, actually. I've looked at my checkbook and times in my life, Marty V and I have had to go, when I owned a business, we had to go to the bank and borrow money to make payroll. And any of you that are in business, you know that's a death knell to have to borrow money to make your payroll. I've, had, I've got kids, I've got grandkids. I worry about my grandkids because my kids are not sufficient to raise my grandchildren. <laughs> and putting that kind of thing on the people of God and saying, just be like David and have courage and you'll be okay. That is not the historical redemptive message that this story carries. While all the other stuff is true, courage, faith, all of that, the message is not about us. So let's go into it and see. We're going to look at three things today. The outline is in your 
uh, bulletin, and I hope it is helpful. We're going to look first at the champion of Gath. Then we're going to look at the champion of Israel. Look at the person of David. And finally, the champion of God. So the champion of Gath. Look at these verses 4 through 11 and then this little uh, extra one. uh, There was a parenthetical part there. uh, But then he jumps down to 16 to tell us about this champion of Gath. The challenger, Goliath. It says this. Then Goliath a Philistine champion, in your Bible it could say any number of things, a a Philistine, but the word generally is champion. And that word in Hebrew, very uh, easy word to translate, it's ishbenaim. Ishbenaim. Ish is the word uh, for man. There's two words for man in uh, uh, Hebrew, one is Adam, which is uh, Adam, or it could mean male or female, Adam, humankind, mankind, or it could mean Adam, the person. But then the other word is Ish, and Ish is the generic for man, just a man, a male person, and the word for female is Ishah. Well, Ish Benayim, and the word Benayim means literally the man who is in the space between. It was used of a warrior who came down and got, you know, single combat. They're talking about, you send your best guy, we'll send our best guy, let them fight it out, and the winner gets the spoils, you become our slave. If we win, we become your slave. If, if our champion wins, Ish Benayim, the man in between, the two armies, the champion who comes down. Goliath, the Philistine champion, Ishbaniam, the man in between from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. So here he steps out of this army that's there up on the hill, and he's coming into the valley, and here's the description. He's over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail. You know, it's bright, yellowish color. One of the things in our our little pastor group that was studying this is uh, uh, Jeff White actually translated this in Hebrew for us. And and the word for coat of mail is kaskethes. It means scales, like a reptile, like a fish. Not chain armor like you see, you know, the knights of medieval times, they had these chain mail. No, this was a coat that looked like scales, one on top of the other, tight and hard and shiny and bright. And it went from here all the way down probably to his mid-thighs. A coat of mail, kaskafeth. It weighed 125 pounds. He wore a bronze leg armor. These are the greaves that are around the the calves. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder and the shaft of his had two weapons. He had a shaft, uh, a spear. The shaft was like a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead, 15 pounds. 
and his armor-bearer walked ahead of him. Now the armor-bearers in the ancient Near East were not slaves. They were warriors in their own right. In fact, they were usually a very dangerous warrior, one of the highest trained, and they would go before the big guy, the war big warrior. So it was not like you're getting Goliath and, uh, and a flunky. You're getting Goliath and another substantial warrior. And he's carrying the shield. Goliath has all his other stuff. And here is his speech. Look at 8 through 10. Fascinating. Here's this giant, nine feet tall. Say, oh, that's mythology. I don't know if it's mythology or not. Doesn't really matter. What matters is this was a terrifying individual. Huge, strong, latest. Uh, material. Nobody had a sword in those days. Nobody had bronze armor. This was a formidable and terrifying enemy. And here's what he says when he comes out and he's looking right at the army across the valley. And here's what he says. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? Why are all of you out here to fight? I am the Philistine. You are just the servants of Saul. Choose a man. Choose a man to come down here and fight me. You see, why are you sending your whole army? You don't scare us. Just send one man. Anybody. Choose a man. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man to fight. His speech is fierce, violent, mocking, taunting, blasphemous. You can almost see the spit coming out of his mouth. He's fuming. His voice is like a, a hiss. He's dressed like a serpent and he sounds like a serpent. Come down and let's fight. Very well attested in the ancient Near East and in other cultures as well. In medieval, you know, the knights would joust and all that. It was a battle in the ancient Near East, it was a battle between the gods. You send your man, I will send our man. And if our God is stronger than your God, we win. This was not hypothetical to them. They really believed these things. Verse 11, the reaction. Look at Saul and the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. Literally, it means they were breaking into pieces. They were, they were so scared that they couldn't even stand there. In fact, as you, as you read the narrative, you realize they would go back after this challenge morning and evening for 40 days. The, the, Goliath came out and made this challenge and the, and the armies would go back behind the hill and they would sit there and they would shake and they would tremble and they would cower and remember, Saul's taller than all the rest. He's the big guy. He's anointed by God to be king. He was at least tall enough to be, be taller than the rest. He was a man that was supposed to go out there and answer that challenge on behalf of his God. Instead, the Philistine is strutting. 
And it says strutting. He's got his chest out and his armor and all his power on display and he's strutting and defying, cursing the Israelites, cursing the God of the Israelites. Then the scene changes. Look at verses 12 and following. You have to do this quickly. There's a lot of verses. The champion of Israel. The scene changes and now it introduces David this shepherd. We've already heard Dawson explained about his anointing last week and how he was the eighth son. He's the last of the seven sons of Jesse and has an eighth one that's not even counted. He's out there in the field with the sheep. And, uh, and he's of no account. He's a nothing. In fact, you see in the dialogue we'll look at in a second that he wasn't held in very high esteem by his brothers uh, or his, or his co- people that were there, his peers. Look at 12. David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Eight sons. Seven sons was perfect. Boy, if you had seven sons, that was in the superstitious or uh, mind of the ancient people. If I had seven sons, I I have a strong family. Eight, the eighth son, he's the no account. He's the one, you know, if I have eight, nine, ten, those sons, yeah, they're good. I love them, sure. But we're going to put them out there with the sheep. But I've got three. Look, Jesse's three eldest sons are in the army, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah. You, you've already been introduced to them. Big, strapping, strong. Now, it doesn't say, Dawson was very right in telling us last week that David was not some little pipsqueak In fact, he was probably every bit as strong and big and whatever as his brothers. But he was young. He was a youth. He was ruddy. He wasn't hardened yet. And he certainly wasn't old enough to be in the army. He had to be 20 years old to be in the army. He was not yet 20 years old. So his job, according to his father, was to run back and forth. Now here's an interesting fact. Gath is five miles away from the valley of Elah. Bethlehem is about 12, 13 miles. So David had a bit of a way to go. So he was running back and forth between his village, Bethlehem, to bring news back and forth, to bring supplies to his brothers and to the commanders. You know, they, they had to pay for their own stuff, like the ancient armies. You know, if you want to go to war, uh, they didn't have a budget. Uh, you brought your own horses, your armor, you paid for all your own stuff, and you came to fight. If you didn't show up to fight, they would just come and kill you and all your family. So you got your stuff and you went to fight, right? That's the ancient world. David is the youngest, the eighth son, a shepherd, and he's going back and forth. This is verses 13 through 40. I'm going to summarize very fast. He arrives... And the detail in this section in all of this chapter is so extraordinary that scholars have said this is almost painfully descriptive. But what God is doing is He's telling you a story. He's getting you down into the very heart of the story. David is moving back and forth. He's bringing bread to his brothers. He's bringing cheese, uh, big slices of cheese for the commanders uh, so they can keep, you know, being good. These are from Abinadab and Elihu and, uh, or, uh, 
Eliab and from Shemaiah. So the commanders would look favorably upon their sons and that kind of thing. And David comes just as the army, the army is behind the hill. They're getting ready to go out. And the army's back there and they're trying to hype and get each other all pumped up. You know, they're doing, uh, uh, you know, they're putting their hands like they do in a huddle in a football, you know. Let's go, let's go. And they're banging their shields and all of that. They're behind the hill. And David comes and he goes, and so they're, come on, let's go. And they all go over the top of the hill and then they fall apart again. Probably day 39 or day 40. Once they see Goliath, they all panic. And David is there with him and he starts asking, what is this? Here's this young, young man. What is going on there? He's defying the armies of Israel. And his brother Eliab, the eldest, scolds him and says, you know, who are you? He tells him kind of what he thinks about him. You're just nothing. You're the shepherd. Go back and keep your mouth shut. We know your pride. We know how you are. And David just ignores his older brother, which of any of you that have a, a large family, you know that's usually what the younger is. I'm the oldest in my family, and everyone ignores me. My brothers, all my cousins, even my wife. <laughs> all right. So, you know, he ignores him and he goes on, he keeps asking questions why is this happening? What is the reward the king will give for the man that goes out and is the champion for Israel? What will happen for him? Well, he'll get the daughter. He'll, get the, the, he'll be made a royalty. He'll go into the court. All these great things. Word gets back to Saul and his generals, Abner and the others, that David, this young man, is talking like that. So he comes to Saul. And, and he tells, in verse 32, he tells Saul, I will fight for you. And Saul tells him back, don't be ridiculous. You're just a youth. You're just a boy. How are you going to fight with a man who has been brought up from his childhood to be a warrior and slaughter anybody without any compassion whatsoever? How can you do that? David says, I'll do it. And he explains, you know, I've watched the sheep and I've, I've had to fight a bear and I've had to fight a lion and I have my sling and I have a stick and I have all that. And you can just hear these guys in the background going, oh, all right, let's send him out there. So Saul gives him his armor. The armor is too big and it doesn't fit. And David feels clunky. So he disregards the army and then look back at what he does. Verse 40 through 41. He picked up, he's going down in the valley, the brook is there, he's making his way, Goliath is waiting, he picks up five stones, smooth stones from the, from the brook. He picked up the five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag, then armed only with the shepherd's staff and his sling. This was not a shot slingshot like this. This was a sling that had a pouch long. They would swing them. If you, if you look on the news, you'll see the Palestinians throwing rocks at the Israeli army with their slings. They whip it and they let it go and they can hit, uh, they can hit a hummingbird in flight and it will kill you. And that's why the Israeli army shoots back. It's not a nothing weapon. It's dangerous and it will kill. 
and they could throw those slings in other places in the Bible. It said they had they were there were men that could throw a stone at a hair's breadth with both the right hand and the left hand. They were so skilled. They were ambidextrous and they could throw these skill, whip those things out and throw them. And he comes down and there all he had is this. Now listen to Goliath's speech. Here you get another look at Goliath. Now they're looking at each other. They are close. Closer than we are in this room. They're probably only a few feet apart. Goliath is sneering at contempt. This is how the author is in. Sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And he cursed David with the names of all his gods. You see, they, they understood what was going to happen here. It wasn't going to be David and Goliath. It was going to be the God of Israel and the God of the Philistines. Dagon and all the rest of their pantheon. Come here, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And that's the Bible version. It would have been something so much more terrifying, so much more violent. I'm going to rip you to shreds. I'm going to pull you apart and feed your flesh. You can imagine the the terror of being face to face. Not like you could pull a gun out and shoot him from there like Indiana Jones did. The guy's bringing his sword and he just, boom, and he's dead. No, it was going to be something more substantial than that. They were going to go to blows. And here's David's reply, very famous. The whole dialogue is vivid, crisp, picturesque, David says. You come to me with a sword and a javelin, but I come to you. Listen, the difference. I come to you in the name Hashem, the great name of God. Hashem, the name. Just the name, Hashem. The Lord of heaven's armies, Yahweh Zabaot. The God, Elohim of the Israel army. He goes and he strings all these words out that describe his God. One God against all your gods. You've defied Him. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people not with sword and spear This is the Lord's battle and He will give you to me, to us. Verse 48. Goliath moves forward. David runs to meet him. He whips the stone around and he slings it at the giant. And you know the story. The stone hits him right in his forehead, just below the bronze helmet. It sinks into his skull and he falls down to the ground. We don't know if he's dead or not, but he's down. Everybody is in shock. The shield bearer, this other warrior, turns and runs. And everybody's cheering. 
at least those of us who are reading the story. Oh, wow, this is so great. He conquered the giant. He did all. This is all we need. We just need to have faith in God, and we can conquer our giant. You know, folks, a lot of your Bible, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, lots of war. Yeah? You notice that? Lots of warfare, lots of death, lots of conflict, lots of fighting, fighting between nations, fighting between people, people fighting inside of themselves, struggling with their own lives, this constant tension, this constant battle. And we, we read from the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We know that we're in a place that is dark and threatening. Everyone knows that. Even people with huge resources know that. We have secret service guarding our president of the, you know, all of that. We know the world is a violent place. It's a valley like Elah. Where warfare, and you see so much of it, and you kind of wonder, gosh, what is going on and our personal experience folks tells us we know that there's a war a battle going on for Christians we know that that battle behind all of the earthly battles there's another battle that has been waged all of the people that understood this story that would have read this story would have known no Israelite in his right mind would have read this story and said oh we need to be like David Every Israelite that ever read that story would have said, who and where is our true king? Who is going to fight? Who's going to go into the valley of Elah? Who's going to fight Goliath? Who is going to be the man in between me and all this? Who is... Our God, who is our true King? And how will the King save us? We know we can't do it. We cannot face the giant. There's kind of a break here in this passage. Because it ends with David triumphed. This is verse 50. That David triumphed with only a sling and a sword and, and a, only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. That's kind of the end of this. The champion of Israel, David, won this battle with a sword and a, uh, with a sling and a, and a stone, but he had no sword. That little phrase is important. He had no sword. In fact, if you read the earlier chapters we talked about, no one in Israel except King Saul and a couple of Jonathan and a few others had a sword. The Philistines controlled the armaments. They didn't let the Israelites have swords. So all the guys on the other side are with, with pitchforks, you know, and clubs and axes and whatever. No swords. David had no sword. And that brings us to the champion of God. I think the author is anticipating something. He doesn't know exactly what it is, but he's anticipating something. And so look at verse 51. David 
ran over to the body of Goliath. Maybe he was still breathing, I don't know. He pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath and David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. When we were studying this on Monday, my pastor, my favorite pastor, Dawson, he said this, and we were all just jumping up and down in Starbucks. They thought we were a bunch of crazy people, which we are. And Dawson said this, the sword that Goliath thought would kill David, David uses to kill Goliath. Well done. He's learned all this stuff from me. <laughs> all right, folks. Look, your life is good. You're, gonna, you're fighting battles right now. Your life, your children's life, this country, this world is in conflict, is in tension. We are at war. The New Testament says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or worldly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, these evil things that are around us, the wrong thoughts, the wrong intentions, the wrong motives. They are at odds with God and His world. And He means to push it back. And He means for us to push it back. He means for us to enter the battle. But something has to happen first. And something did happen first. David descended into the valley of Elah. The man in between. The shepherd in between. The Ishbinaim, and he faced Goliath clothed in scale armor like a serpent and spewing lies out of his mouth like the snake in the garden. The Nahesh, the serpent. And David took the sword of God, which was a promise, and you will slay the serpent, and you will crush his head, and he will strike your heel. And he took the sword from the enemy himself and beheaded Goliath. And the army runs into the valley and conquers the Philistine army as they're running away because their champion had been destroyed. Their Ishbenayim was conquered. Now folks, you don't have to try very hard to see what the author is saying. He's telling us that just like the serpent, Marcos brought this up when we were talking, just like the serpent, when you cut a serpent's head off, it's thrashing around and it's still dangerous. It could still do you a lot of harm. And yeah, the the Goliath was destroyed, but there's still an army there to fight and so they have to go out and fight him and they did. But they fought a battle they could not lose. They fought a battle that was already won. All they had to do was trust their king and go fight. And they did. And David went into the valley of the shadow of death. But he didn't die, he stayed alive. And centuries later, 
Here's what we read about our Savior, our Ishbenayim, our champion. Through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered him, all, delivered all that would trust in him through fear of death and were subject to lifelong slavery. Here's what Jesus did. He descended into the same valley, folks, of the shadow of death, but he did not emerge from that valley until he died. He took the weapon of the enemy, death, and the thing that is so fearful. You see, we live all of the traumas that we see in our world and in our lives. If you follow them back, their root is in death. It's at the fact that you will die. And like Hamlet, oh, what dreams may come. To be or not to be. What dreams may come. Should I kill myself? But I'm afraid because what is on the other side? You don't know. And we don't either. And so all of these conflicts around us have the threat of death with them. How are you going to fight that Goliath? How? You cannot do it. And what this story is telling us not be like David. It's not even telling us to be like Jesus. What is this story telling you? Trust your King who went into the valley of the shadow of death and died. And how did He come out of the valley of the shadow of death? By the power of His own being of who He was. He broke death to pieces. Like the great Puritan author, John Owen said, the death of death was in the death of Christ. He took the sword of the enemy, plunged it into His own heart, and in so doing, disarmed the enemy and all threats. This is why we tell you folks, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be wringing your hands over all the things that are threats to us. They are real. Make no mistake. But at the end of the day, you are going to die. And at the end of the day, on the other side of the valley of Elah, is your victorious King waiting for you. He has promised I will not fail. He crushed the serpent. We're still fighting, still warfare, but we have nothing to fear. The victory has been won. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Father, thanks for giving us Your Son. What a beautiful story and how I don't know what it must have been like for Jesus to look into that valley and knowing there was no shadow but the real thing. Please help us. Give us courage and faith to trust Him and not ourselves. Help us. Save us and have mercy on us according to Your grace. We pray in Jesus. Amen.